Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Whoo, that seat sinks. <laughs> hello, hello. I got the rocker. This, this is this one's firm. That's firm. This has not been used much. This has <laughs> this has been really worn in. I am very this is the most comfortable I've ever been preaching. Just all, you know, it's like this is fantastic. Well, hey, look, I could spin and address everyone in the room. This is this is gonna be slightly distracting. I'm just gonna be honest. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's great to be with you. My name's Stephen. If we haven't met, I'm one of the elders here, and I got Nathan and Scott with me as well, also el- elders here at Candeo. And uh, we're really excited. We have the opportunity to share and bring you in on a conversation of busyness and rest. What are healthy rhythms in our lives uh, that God would prescribe for us, that, we, that would bring about our flourishing? And so that's our discussion this morning. Now, the regular rhythm at Candeo Church, we've shared this a few times, is to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. Uh, But from time to time, we will pull over and take on a topic uh, like this and do kind of a unique series where we're walking through some of the key discussions that we as an elder team want our church to be having. And so that's what the last two weeks have been. That's what this morning had been. So a little bit different of a uh, maybe preaching style, teaching style, content delivery style than we're used to as a church, but we're really excited to, to open up our Bibles to explore this topic of busyness and rest. What, what are work and rest rhythms that we are to have in our lives? So think about this. When was the last time somebody asked you, hey, how are you doing? And you said, oh, I just have so much time on my hands. Probably a long time ago. <laughs> Um, most often, what do we say? I am busy. I am so, so busy. And I think most of us know that we are too busy. We are more busy than we should be. But I think a lot of us lack direction or clarity on, well, what are healthy rhythms? What should my schedule look like? Or how do I even take steps towards a more sustainable rhythm in my life? And so that's the conversation that we want to have this morning. So what we're going to do is I'm going to walk through three guiding principles to start and then have Nathan and Scott jump in uh, throughout those three guiding principles. And then we're going to shift for the second part to just some really practical implications for this conversation of busyness and rest. So Nathan, Scott, anything by way of introduction that you would add before we dive in? Yeah, and my name is Nathan Compton. Uh, during my day job, I work as an architect, so this is not, I'm not on staff with Candeo, but I get the privilege of being able to be a, a lay elder, and so, yeah, that's me. Yeah, most of you already know who I am, but just my name is Scott Ring. I'm one of the non-staff guys in my day job. I work for the state of Iowa. I've been married for almost 23 years, and I've got three children, one off at college, one in high school, and one in uh, just finished up elementary school. So uh, we've got a lot of variety within the three guys sitting up here this morning. Awesome. All right, well, let me give you three guiding principles when it comes to healthy rhythms in life. I think when you're talking to a room this size, we would have to sit down with every single one of you individually and look at your schedules if we are really going to tell you this is okay, this isn't okay, this needs a shift. So what are three guiding principles that you guys can take back into your connection groups, into your homes to discuss? Well, here's the first guiding principle. Seek first the kingdom of God. When it comes to your schedule, when it comes to healthy rhythms, it all starts here. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? 
What is the priority of your life? Because if you can identify that as the priority of your life, that will actually bring a lot of clarity to all the other questions of how much should I work? What hobbies should I be engaged in? What activities do we put our kids in? Well, if you can answer the question, are you seeking first the kingdom of God in everything? Then that brings, begins to bring a lot of clarity to those other questions. So we get this from Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Here's what it says. It says, so don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What's he saying there? There are all these things that the Gentiles eagerly seek after. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? There's all these things that the Gentiles or the world, you could say, are pursuing. And yet you as the people of God, you as kingdom people, what should be the priority of your life? Seek first the kingdom of God and, and, and his righteousness. Now, he doesn't say that those things are bad to pursue at some level. He says, your father knows you need them. And as you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, your father will provide those. But what is the priority of your life? Is it seeking first his kingdom? Because if you can get that right, then how much time you spend in hobbies, how much time you spend at work, the activities you include in rest days, the activities you don't include, the activities you put your kids in, the activities you don't, all of those begin to be clarified when you can answer the question, are you seeking first his kingdom? Now, not only is that clarifying, it's also challenging. There's a challenge in that guiding principle because our schedules reveal the priorities of our lives. And so here's one of the challenges. If we got a time inventory of your week last week, if we got a window in to see how you utilized your time, what would we conclude is the priority of your life? Now, that doesn't mean that you didn't work a lot or anything, but what it means is we should be able to identify, man, there is something, there is seeking first the kingdom that is guiding everything you did inside your week. So before we move on to the second guiding principles, Nathan, Scott, what would you add to this first one of seeking first the kingdom and how it applies to work and rest? Yeah, I've, I found for me um, one of the most clarifying and helpful opportunities, or not opportunities, but anchor points within the busyness of, of family and schedules for school, work, and things like that is in Matthew 6, But remembering Romans 8, 32 says this. We, we hear this a lot. If you're in our family, you hear this a lot too. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So if you, you think about that principle, you go, okay, so... God met the greatest problem I could ever have in my entire life, and that's my distance between myself and him because of my sin. He solved that problem in his son who lived a life for me, died on a cross for me, and rose again on the third day. That's where my trust is. If he solved that problem, I think he can figure out everything else, the stuff that we put all this anxiety on. And when that becomes the categorical anchor point for going, oh, okay, so that greatest problem's been solved, I worry less about the other problems, I think is that, that point that has given me a lot of personal rest to go back to again and again and again. Not that those other things that I, I wanna provide for my family, um, I, I wanna be able to supply those needs, but ultimately going, God met my greatest need in Jesus, 
he's going to take care of everything else. That's been really helpful. I think one of the passages that's been very helpful for me is just Psalm 127, where he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the labor, uh, labor in vain who build it. Um, that one just, in all I do, I can get so anxious and caught up in my work and thinking I've got to accomplish this. I've got to get to a point where, you know, I'm trying to be the one who's doing everything versus bringing God into it. And, And until I bring God into it, then I am anxious. I'm worrying. I'm not finding rest. But when I bring God into those situations and I, I'm working in vain until I, until I do that. And then I often find once God's part of this, pieces fall into place and I can just take a breath and know that, that he's taking care of it. I'm not in control. I'm remembering where my position is in this world and that he is over everything. And that's where I can find uh, the comfort and rest in him. Yeah, that, that is so good because I think something that you guys are both hitting on is for most of us, we're not just busy because we love being busy. Like, why are you busy? Oh, I just love filling up my schedule. Scott, you bring out, man, we rightly feel this desire to provide, to meet our needs, and God's given us work to do that. And so there's usually, there's a need of provision that's driving that. And then Nathan, you're right. There's a, a appropriate desire to accomplish and to be productive that like, hey, I want to achieve something. I want to produce. And that is a, that can be a helpful motivation. But so I think to highlight what both of you are saying is there are motivations underneath our busyness that we need to identify, wait, why do I keep filling up my schedule? Is it because I'm anxious about providing? Is it because I'm anxious about achieving or accomplishing? And when we can reorient back to seeking first the kingdom, it reorients those needs that no God has met those physical needs that we feel like we need to, or he will meet those physical needs that we feel like we need to provide. Unless he's with us, nothing we everything we accomplish or do is going to be in vain. And so then when we re- recognize that, it allows us to actually embrace some healthy rhythms. And I'd say we, I think everybody in this room can probably testify to the fact that in today's society, uh, there is a high value placed on your uh, ability to do a lot of things. Almost like that is your social marker for success is if you can say, well, this is all the things I got going on between, you know, running to my kids stuff and, and I'm really super busy. It's almost like that is the thing we want to portray to people because that's where society finds a lot of value. And this is a great reorienting center to go, no, what is, what is God value? We, we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let him take care of all those other things. Satan is so good at wanting us to get our value onto the wrong things. And for us as parents, we need to feel that way too of like, we will model what matters to our kids. What matters to us, we're going to model to our kids in where we placed our time. And I feel the weight of that, the conviction of that, if you want to call it that, with my own kids. Mm. So, Yeah. Scott, what you said, Satan loves to deceive us. Probably one of the most common ways that Satan is taking most of us out of having spiritual impact is not because of the sins that he's tempting us with, though that's true, but probably just deceiving us with our schedules. And we're filling them with things that have temporary value, which we'll get to more of that. Here's the second guiding principle. So if the first is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, the second one is to remember that you are set free from the law and invited into healthy rhythms. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Well, here's what Colossians 2.17 says. It says, uh, verse 16, Therefore, let no, do, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Similar, here's uh, what Jesus says in Mark 2. In verse 27, he said, Then he told him, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. We need to remember that Christ has set us free from the Sabbath regulations and laws of the Old Testament. Now, why is this important? Well, when we talk about rest and work rhythms, we need to know it's a conversation about freedom, about delighting in God, about enjoying him. It's not this uh, burden that we are to put back on ourselves. We've been set free from the law and free now to enjoy God as we embrace healthy rhythms. I think it's very easy to maybe hear a, a conversation like this and then walk away feeling like you have a list of to-do items and leaving feeling more burdened than you came in. No, this conversation should be a freeing conversation. Christ has set us free from the law and regulations of the Sabbath. And those laws were put in place to point us to Christ. They were put in place to help us identify the deep desire for rest that all of us have inside of us and that those desires of rest were ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who was the substance. The, the Sabbath laws, those were a shadow. Christ is the substance, which means that Sabbath, we were not created for the Sabbath, but instead Sabbath was created for us. That there's now an invitation to believers in the new covenant, not to put on the yoke of slavery to the law, but to you're invited to embrace healthy rhythms of rest. Now, what are those patterns? Well, if you go back to Genesis 2, what you'll see is God created everything and on the seventh day he rested that work and rest were in, in the creation, in God's original design for life before the fall, before sin entered the world. There was work and there were patterns of rest. And so those are the patterns that we are now invited into experience, to work hard and then to rest from our labors. And what, is it, what does that resting look like? Well, it means delighting in God. So we are, are free from the law and invited into healthy rhythms to delight in him. Anything to add on this? Second principle that we're set free from the law and invited into healthy rhythms. Yeah, I'd probably just say that for, for me, this one is such a, a relieving principle from the standpoint of I tend to be a, a rule follower, a checklist person. And it's like, all right, this day I have to have my rest for eight hours and mark that off. And that could be both uh, that can be very challenging in a busy schedule. To, to be able to work that in and know that I have the freedom to spread that out into other areas. And as long as I'm building those rhythms of rest, which are so important, and not uh, using that, that period of time that I'm saying, this is my chunk, I can't, I can't help you on this, or I can't do something for my wife or my kids because this is my chunk where I have to be resting. That, becomes a, a, that can become a period where I'm, I'm not able to love others either. Yeah, and, and we were talking about this a little bit this last week in preparation for this too, and I was reminded even throughout our discussion that remember when God had set this design out, it was so that we would flourish, right? God's, God's design for us, God, even with the, the Old Testament law, was so in a broken world we could function 
um, the best that, not that we can, but not only to glorify God, but he, know, he knows us, right? He designed us. He knows what's best for us. So he knew we needed rest. What do we do with that as human beings? We turn it into this, this uh, ball and chain that we have to hang on to. And the Jews had gotten so much with, with the Sabbath that it was like, you know, you guys know this if you read your Bible. They were measuring how many steps that they would take because they were, they were more worried about offending a holy God than understanding that, hey, God's design for rest was actually so that we would flourish. So even though in Colossians we talk about we're free from the law, Jesus has met that thing. But to be reminded, yeah, but in those times where I, I pull over and I park and I take that Sabbath rest, it's actually so that I would flourish. Deuteronomy 5 says this. I found this just this morning. Um, I was reminded of this anyway. Um, it says in verse 29, Deuteronomy 5, 29, it says, if only they had such a heart to fear me and keep all my commands always so that they and their children will prosper forever. This is not a prosperity gospel. Don't hear that. This is, this is God's going, would you follow my design, right, so that you would flourish and that's what, that when we get to the place where we're free from the law, but we recognize that when we pull over and park and we Sabbath, the way God has, has commanded us to do, it does bring a delight. Then our rest is like, I'm delighting in this rest, right? And then I'm taking inventory of God's faithfulness throughout the week while I rest in this particular time. Yeah. I think what, what you would say, Scott, is rest is a discipline, just like anything else, reading your Bible, praying, gathering together for corporate worship, all of those things are disciplines, spiritual disciplines. And what is the point of a spiritual discipline? It's to delight in the Lord, to delight in the family of God, to delight in even his, the beauties that we see in creation. It's, those are the, the purposes of disciplines, is that we would delight in him. But we don't want to turn any discipline that God has given us back into a law that now becomes a burden. Even though, it, is it hard to implement disciplines into your life? Yeah, it's not easy to be a disciplined person to engage in those. But at the same time, they shouldn't feel like a burden. They should feel, we should be experiencing a freedom, a delight, a joy as we engage in those. So Yeah, because the, the ditch that we're going to drive in is we will drive into, I got to do this, I got to carve out my time, and then it's a burden. It's that yoke that we talked about the other day. Or the other ditches were like, sweet, I'm not. I'm not a slave to that anymore. I can, I can just fill my time up with all these other things. And we're like, we can't drive into either ditch. This mm. keeps us tethered to what we should be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here's the third guiding principle. Don't confuse busyness and laziness with labor and rest. It's very easy or entirely possible that you could say, hey, I'm working hard when in fact you're actually just busy. Now, what is busyness? Well, I think 2 Timothy 2 creates a good category for us. So in 2 Timothy 2, Paul is writing to Timothy and explaining to him some of the mentalities that a disciple or someone who's wanting to have an impact for Christ should have. And one of those mentalities, metaphors he uses, is that of a soldier. So here's verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. So as people who have been bought by Christ, who are now in Christ, who have now been commissioned to have an impact for him, what Paul is saying is you need to have the mindset of a soldier. A soldier receives a task from his commanding officer and pursues that, is focused on that, and yet... As soldiers, we should avoid being entangled by the concerns of civilian life. 
What does that mean? It means that there are eternal things that God has called us to step into, commands that he's called us that will have an eternal impact, and yet it's so easy to be distracted by the temporary things in life, to be entangled by those that would prevent us from stepping into those things that God would call us into. Now, Paul is not saying that we shouldn't have any civilian concern for civilian life at all. We do all have jobs. We do all have things that we need to address. But what he's saying is being entangled by them, that you become so distracted, your life is so filled up. There's actually two ways that we can sin. There's sins of commission, things that when we do things that we should not do, but there's also sins of omission, when we don't do things that we should do. And what busyness does is it causes us to commit sins of omission. We might say, man, there's, I'm doing fine. Like, I'm just running at a fast pace. And it's like, actually, there are significant commands that you are omitting from your life because of the amount of entanglement you have in civilian concerns. So if your schedule would prevent you from having a quiet time with God on a daily basis— if your schedule would prevent you from engaging in Christian community and serving in a significant way, if your schedule would prevent you from living on mission for Christ, if your schedule prevents you from stepping into things that God has called you to step into, you are busy. You might be entangled in the concerns of civilian life. And not only should we be concerned about sins of commission, but we should also be concerned about sins of omission. Scott, you shared this week that Paul Sabino shared recently. I think it was an elder conversation. He said, you can be busy yet lazy in the things that God has called you to. So don't confuse busyness with labor. Don't confuse busyness with work. And likewise, don't confuse rest with laziness. Similar to confusing busyness with work, you could say, what do you mean I need to slow down? I I actually do have a lot of time on my hands and not realize what you're calling rest is actually laziness. Laziness, like busyness, also keeps us from stepping into the things that God has called us to. Laziness, like busyness, also causes us to commit sins of omission. Laziness is when we avoid stepping into the things that God would call us to, both in our work and in our rest. In our work, working for the kingdom, but also working to faithfully steward what God has entrusted us vocationally. In our rest, that we'd actually engage in activities that are life-giving and restore life, not just drain and suck life. So don't confuse busyness with work and don't confuse laziness with rest. What would you guys add to that principle? You know, the, the room here is filled with people who are prone to different directions, whether it be the laziness or the busyness, and either way, Satan is really trying to distract us and pull us to whatever it is that that is best going to prevent us from uh, being on mission for him. And uh, I think that's really what we have to keep in mind within our own selves of of taking the time to say, all right, am, am I being lazy? Am I not? Am I am I not putting my time forward in a efficient, productive manner? Or am I just, like Stephen was saying, just so busy that I cannot make time to uh, act out for the mission of God? And we have to be introspective on that and figure out where are we in that and let God bring us in and guide us through the Holy Spirit on, on the best way moving forward. And then I would add to just laziness can draw us. We talk about sins of omission, but laziness is also 
uh, away, when we're by ourselves, when we have nothing going on in our life, that's where Satan can be getting in and, and doing the sins of commission, where he's, he's bringing temptation to us. And so we have to be aware of that, too, that, that we're not putting ourselves in those, in those positions. Yeah, I, I keep going back to the, the thing I shared with these guys, and, and Stephen already put it in there. We can be sluggards. We can be lazy in all the things that God has called us to do. What that looks like for me is I can be a lazy turd when it comes to loving my wife as I'm supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. In the same way with my responsibilities to my kids, my responsibilities here as an elder, I can excel at my job and say, I'm not a lazy guy. I've got all these hours of my, my day filled up with this. Look at, look at my successes. And I go, those things really in the grand scheme of eternity do not matter. I, that's what it boils down to. Nobody's going to remember me for who I am in my job. They're going to remember free for who I am as a Christ follower and how that flows into my responsibilities as a husband and, and as a father. I mean, it really does go back to Matthew 6.33. You want to go all the way back to the beginning, it jumps back to there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, with the remaining time, let's get as practical as we possibly can. What, did these, what do these rhythms or principles, how do they impact kind of our daily, weekly, annual rhythms as you guys have navigated these personally, also as your, with your families? What does this look like on a daily, weekly, and annual level? Um, yeah, I can, uh, we were talking about this and I go, um, for me in my weekly rhythms, I like to uh, look at it as a macroeconomic of my, my time, if you want to call it that, and my micro uh, economics. So macro looks like this, is carving out time at least one day out of the week to really pull over and park from the stuff that's going on in the world. And for me, this has been one of the most helpful things for me, is taking my phone, and it's not just off to the side. And for those of you who know, know what I do, I have a job where my phone can ruin my entire day. If it rings, I got to go. Um, but there are times I go, I'm going to rest in God's sovereignty. I'm going to put my phone in a place where I, I, I can't really hear it. But the biggest thing for me is I'm going, I'm not checking anything. I'm not checking the news. I'm not checking my work email. I am trying to mentally unplug from, from my, my work week, right? So I'm trying to find macroeconomics time to rest at least one day out of the, out of the week. Now, is it a full 24 hours? No, right? Because I'm, I'm trying to live in the freedom of that. So the macro is trying to find one time, one day of the week to do that, uh, to unplug and do things that bring... Um, energy and rest and engaging with my family and stuff like that. But here's the one I think I've taken the most delight in um, within my job. We, I think we need to start thinking on the microeconomic version. So I gave the, the tech team some pictures real quick. Here's my microeconomic in the morning. I know that we've got, we live in a 24-7 world and we live in different, you know, we've got first, second, and third shift. I've, I have worked day shift and night shift in my 25 years. I've, I've been up in the middle of the night. I've done all those things. I cannot find a better time to have a microeconomic rest than from uh, about 6 o'clock in the morning to about 7.30 in the morning. And for the guys that I send stuff out to and, and you see it, I don't know about you, but this is pretty restful, right? So even thinking in terms of the day-to-day, -day, the microeconomic kind of rest that we can have has been really helpful for me. Good rhythms. Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar in that. Uh, I have found, for me, from a daily routine standpoint, it is carving out that morning time. That's, that's the one time of the day where my family's still in bed, 
work I can hold off on and I haven't let the busyness or craziness of the day take over my mind and my schedule yet. So it's getting up at 5 a.m., doing some exercise, and then getting into the Bible and getting into prayer. Those, that is the restful time of my day that helps me get started. And it, it really is just that micro rest time. From a macro standpoint, um, for me, it's finding chunks of time with, within the week with my family where I, too, am just checking out from work and I'm, I'm being present in the moment, um, not letting my phone be in the way of me while my kids are playing a game with me or whatever it may be. It's, we have a weekly pizza night that we do. So it's, it's focusing on that period where we're making pizza together, we're sitting and eating it together. We also do a weekly donut time where it's me and the kids going to get donuts and I can have focus time in the car with them going to do that and then focus time with them while we're together eating those donuts, spending time together. So it's really having that being present in the moment uh, throughout my week and, and making those, those times available. Is there on the daily level anything particular you guys do in the evening? I know you said both of those were great morning examples. I'm curious, what does the end of your day look like? We have a we have a pretty standard for the most part routine each evening where you know we get I get home from work, we eat together, we spend a little family time together if we're able to, and then every night we kind of have a bedroom bedtime routine where we read a book together and read the Bible together and pray together uh, before bed. And that is, that is a very special time that we've kind of kept as a routine each evening um, and, and is a, just a restful time as a family. And then also after that, as a, as a husband with little kids, I've got a, a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, having time after that, after we put the kids to bed with my wife, focus time where we can both be processing through our day and um, just kind of recover from our week or recover from our day before we go to bed has always been kind of precious time for us. Yeah, we'll, we'll model a lot of the same things. And we, we get, I mean, we've, uh, our family has lived within the jankiness of different schedules and things like that as kids were young, then they got older, now you got high schoolers, you got all these different things. We were just trying to high level, carve out some time towards the end of the day to meet around a dinner table, all right? Um, God is so good and that he designed great relationship around food. Trying to hold to that as much as we can, knowing that there are going to be days where that gets shed because of the schedule and, and some other things. But also trying to take those times, just like Nathan said, to be present um, with your family. And, and, and I don't know, I, I know that people are probably sitting here going, like, okay, work third shift. I can't get up in the morning. I can't do that. I go, there's, there's ways we can work around those things. I have just not find, found a better time to spend time in the mornings and then save anything I'm going to do workout-wise or other things for later in the day um, because those things become easier to shed for me. I would rather not shed quiet times in the morning with my Heavenly Father than anything else. If th- something's going to get dumped during the day, it's going to be that other stuff at the tail end of the day. Um, but the, our rhythms for us were mirror yours um, as well. It's being it's being intentional with those times because you yeah it, there there are people with third shift and they've got to figure out then what does that look like in your schedule. But being intentional to make make that time both with your heavenly Father and with your family. 
So, Scott, you brought this up a little bit, just navigating different schedules things. I think one of the questions is like, okay, what does this look like in the different stages of life? So as you guys have walked through some of those, what, what have been some of those shifts that you've had to make either from college to working no kids to young families with five or kids five and under to, kid, to families with older kids or even like empty nesters? What have just been some of the guiding or the principles or practical things you did in each of those seasons? Yeah, for us, the rhythms look different. When our kids were young, um, our rhythms were, especially the intentional time we had with them, was in the evening times, and we loved reading to our kids. We had, a, we had a repetition or a rhythm of this. We would read directly from the Bible one night, and I, I, parents, just take rest in this. There are going to be a lot of things that are going to fly right of your kids' heads. But over time, the Holy Spirit, as, as God draws them to themselves, they put their trust in Christ, and just that you, that, that we as parents just fulfill our obligations to proclaim the goodness of God, right? Stuff is going to start to stick. So we would, we would spend a night where we would read out of a passage of the Bible, probably more like a narrative, because those seem to be more fun for the kids. We'd do that one night. The other night, we'd do a book like an allegory, like a pilgrim's progress, some type of a, a biblical story that has a lot of under, under biblical tones to it. Then the other night, and this is one where you can have a lot of fun, I would tell what's called Bosco stories. It was something in the moment. It was a made-up monkey that was at the zoo that more often than not, I am laying down on the floor, and my girls are sitting in bed, and I am telling them the story that I am making up on the fly. And usually it had to do with something that my kids did earlier in the day, that was pretty dumb, and Bosco magically had a way of doing that, right? And I'm telling you, it was fun, because in the moment, you're like, I don't know where this story is going to end. So those were like our rhythms, where we would do a Bible one night, we would do kind of a, a cool allegorical story, if, if I can use that. It's just a fun story on it. And we would cycle those things through when our kids were young. As they got older, obviously the Bosco stories became a little bit less, but moms and dads, you would be surprised at how often the older my girls got particularly, they were like, hey, Dad, I know I'm in junior high, but can you tell a Bosco story, right? Those are sweet moments, so they're going to change. As our kids got older into, like, junior high and high school, we stole something from uh, Christina and Adam Hannon uh, called Question of the Day, and our time kind of shifted more towards dinner time. And all it was, it's not a, a biblically-based book. It's basically 365 questions that you can ask, just one question, like, what was the most fun thing you did today and why? And it's a question to stir up conversation um, around our dinner table. And that was coupled with um, reading back through Pilgrim's Progress or leading, reading through the Jesus Storybook Bible at dinner time, right? Because dinner time became more of our central focus as our kids got older because it was chaos for us when they were young. Now that I've got a daughter that's off in college and I've got one in high school, it's starting to look different. So now what it looks like for me to shepherd my family or to rest in those things, um, my, my daughters get text messages from me almost every day on what I'm reading in my Bible, and I want to interact with them on that. Is it around the dinner table as much? No, because I can't get Addison back from Iowa City every day. But it looks differently, and then when those times come back, we do try and center back in on those things. So that's a lot. I know it might look different for, for different people, but that's what's worked for us. Very similar for our family, I would say, from what you said, except from Bosco. For us, it's the purple elephant. So we... we Make any animal you want, right? <laughs> Ours was the purple elephant stories that I would tell that, that just 
came out of the blue, and I think of them as, as we go. Um, but then also just reading the storybook Bible, doing Bible memorization, you, you would be amazed at what your young kids can soak in from Bible memory just by speaking to them and having them repeat it back. They soak it in so much faster than I do. It's incredible, and it's things that they're now carrying in their heart that um, they're going to have as they grow older. Uh, and then now we've transitioned to from the Jesus Storybook Bible to just reading through the Bible, doing a chapter an evening. And again, the conversation that comes up out of that as you're reading through these, they already have the basis of the Jesus Storybook Bible and know the stories, but now reading it through the through the Bible and, and seeing new things, it, it just brings up such sweet conversation. And then one other thing we do is, is every night after we put them into bed, um, we, each one of us kind of swaps kids and we each ask them, you know, what was something special from the day? What is, you know, having them think back through their day of a blessed thing through the day and, and sharing that and being able to, to speak to that and talk about it is also a very sweet thing that we do. Yeah. Well, I know we threw a lot at you this morning that there's so much to handle and to, uh, talk about in this discussion, but come back to the, just those key principles. When it comes to your rhythms, when it comes to work to rest first, are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Start there. That will begin to bring clarity to so many of the questions that you might be trying to navigate as a family. Second, remember that there is freedom and grace, that there, you've been set free from the law of Sabbath and are invited into the healthy rhythms to delight in God as you remember the rest that we have ultimately in Christ through the gospel. And then lastly, don't confuse busyness and labor. Don't confuse rest and laziness, but let's step into the things that God has called us to, to work hard at those things and then rest well as we do those. So Scott, would you pray for us as we close our time today? God, the truth of Matthew 633, uh, God, when we would recognize that when we seek you first, God, you just have a funny way of fixing, not fixing, God, uh, you have a way of meeting everything else that we need because you solved our greatest problem in Jesus Christ. That's why I love Romans 8.32 when it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God, your design for us is, is, was that once we recognize that you sent your son to live a life for us that we were supposed to live perfectly but couldn't, and then die on a cross that we were supposed to die on to pay for our sins, God, that you did that for us, and then you rose again on the third day through your son, God, when we recognize that you have made that true for us through Jesus Christ, it just makes sense that everything else, you're like, man, God, you're going to meet that need. God, would that become the anchor point that allows us then to live in your good design, that we would rest well, trusting in the God who met our greatest need in Jesus, knowing that you're going to meet all those other needs. And then when we rest, God, would we delight in who you are? God, would we look back and take inventory at how good you've been to us throughout our week and that we would truly have that rest that you knew that we needed, but also you want to provide for us. God, you're a good father who wants to give us this gift of rest. And so would we take it, would we extend our arms, take it from you and delight in that goodness. God, you're so good to us. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, 
visit us at candeochurch.com.